Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. And welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I love that this is a snowy day in Toronto. Wow, so great that you guys have joined us here. We have a really action-jam-packed show for you today. Joining us will be CMA's newest recording star, Marty Brown. Kathy Tarchioni from Picture a Moment Pet Productions is with us. Pet entertainer Lee Day and the Good Radio's very own movie correspondent Brent Marchand is going to be joining us today, this and every month from now on, with great movies with meaning. Usually I start the show with a co-host, and like I said, we don't have one today, which is okay, because I knew that we were just too action-packed, and we just don't have time for them. Uh, my soliloquy, I shortened to nothing, <laughs> except to say that uh, I dedicate the show to the United Nations Global Goal number 17. I see my, my first guest isn't with us yet, but that's okay. We're going to hang on and wait for him to join us. So we're going to move on, and I'd like to welcome you to Kathy Tarchioni. She is a partner at Picture a Moment Pet Productions, and along with her community canine reporters. She has lovingly been a part of the animal dog scene for the past 16 years. Picture Moment Pet Productions produces the Dog Connection TV, which is a web series TV designed to help pet parents deepen their connection with dogs. And the show is meant to train, share, and enlighten owners uh, to gain a level of connection that they didn't know was possible. So the end result is a dog-trained person that understands their dog. And let's just say that Kathy and her dog partner, Charlie, care about animals very deeply. Uh, saving dogs is of the utmost importance to Kathy. Kathy suffers from COPD and congestive heart failure. So she is disabled, and she is also a widow. So... It- this story is about elder abuse. It's about animal abuse. And before I bring Kathy on, I'm just going to introduce you to Lee because she's a supporting character in this story. Lee is a pet entertainer. She is also a celebrity pet stylist and a wedding pet uh, coordinator who performs bark mitzvahs, romantic dates, or baptism parties for pets. This is not limited to just dogs and cats. She's also performed weddings for horses and penguins, and she's taken two lobsters out on a romantic date. Hopefully nobody ate them. And the list goes on. She's well known for saving Rabbi Otis, her beloved dog, who someone had left by the side of the road cruelly at the age of 15. And she'll tell us more about that later. But recently in a heartfelt letter on Facebook, Lee wrote about Kathy's plight. And I'm going to let Kathy tell you the story. Lee can chime in the missing bits and I'll be asking some, some pertinent questions. So welcome, Kathy and Lee. How are you? Fine. How are you, Frankie? Excellent. Thank you. Um, so we have this story that, that, you know, happened to you that Lee wrote about this abuse and that's really been very difficult for you. 
Why don't, can you tell, take us back to the beginning of what happened? There was a, there was a couple who needed to borrow some money from you. Right, right. There was a couple here. At, I'm in a small town in uh, Arkansas, in Harrison, Arkansas. And uh, this couple uh, actually got involved in the business because they were animal lovers. And they mm-hmm. came to me. And at the time they were working with me, they also needed money. They told me stories about how they couldn't pay their mortgage. They couldn't pay their utilities. They could hardly feed their child and uh, I never questioned it Frankie I I just on faith I said okay I'll lend you some money well this happened eight times over the period of a year and they had promised to pay me back uh, after the first month that they borrowed and So it ended up being in quite a quite a big sum of, of money uh, and at the time when I lent it to them, I never even thought that it would be any kind of exploitation. But lo and behold, turns out that it really was. But Kathy, um, can I ask you something? Like after you want, they were supposed to pay you back after the first month, and they didn't give you any money back—not even like a couple of bucks. Like, why did you continue to give them money? Well, they were working with me, and they called me mom. What they did is they came to my house. They called me mom. They, uh, I was, like, part of their family, and I needed that kind of comfort. Right, yeah. Uh, and I, I just I, I wanted them to be part of the business, and I wanted them to end up being part of um, my legacy. Right. So I never questioned whether they really needed the money or they didn't need the money. It turns out they really never did need the money. Uh, And what really hurt me in this is that when I did try to uh, get the money back from them, they totally cut all communications from me. So I, I had no other choice. I had to bring them to court, and then I did get a judgment. And unfortunately, even though I had the judgment, it was still up to me to go ahead and try and collect the money. Oh, I thought a but, sheriff normally does that. No, no, no. So I started wanting to identify that they owed me money through social media. Okay. Oh, my God, Frankie, I got bombarded by some of the people here in Harrison they just crucified me in thinking that because the story was that these people told the people here in Harrison that I didn't that they didn't owe me any money and that they never borrowed any money from me. So when I tried to clarify that, they came after me, and it also came in the form of not only uh, social media abuse on social media, but also they sent the sheriff to my house saying I was harassing them. Uh, Wow. What did the sheriff say when you told him your side of the story? He said, no, absolutely, that there was no harassment on my end. I I don't even have communication with them. They blocked me on all social media. So how could I have? Are they still living in town? Yes, yes, they are. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, uh, the air has been let out of my tires. I've had had my, my windows egged. And uh, I've had actually verbal confrontation that rendered me to tears in in public areas. And I'm I'm 70 years old and I'm I'm on oxygen 24-7. And that's not a sympathy uh, ploy at all. It's it's, it's just the truth that when I get out, I've got to take all this paraphernalia with me. 
Yeah, yeah. I was I was very very hurt over this. I'm sure. Now, when we wrote this article, then the media picked it up, but they didn't pick it up as exploitation. What they picked it up as here's this 70 year old disabled widow that stood up against the bullies of Harrison, Arkansas, mm-hmm. in order to keep her business going, because the truth is that. All this money that I, I lent to these people, I would have been giving it to help dogs. Right. For the last two centuries, I have been helping dogs by either pledging money, rescuing them, paying for their medical expenses, something. And even right. though I didn't have the money to give them, I still received those requests. For so sure. Some of the dogs that I couldn't help, and it would absolutely make me sick. So right. I, I was I was emotionally and also um, psychologically affected because I couldn't help them. And when I Kathy, saw, did you always give them the same amount of money every month? No, no. Oh, okay. It and it was never recorded on, as a, as as a loan or a gift to, or anything like that. Either way. Oh, you mean to uh, the people here in Harrison? Yes. To, to the couple yes, that you gave no, the money I, to. I record. I recorded everything. Oh, that's, okay. That's why I was able to get the judgment because I oh, had everything. Okay. So it definitely. But no one was able to get the money from them for you. No. And the, and the law wouldn't help do that. Nope. The law didn't help me. No one has helped me. I even I even tried to garnish the wages, and it, it, it was an unbelievable thing here. Politics is politics. That's all I can say. Right. And when, when you look at why I haven't gotten the money, here's a, here's a person that is gainfully employed, and that I can't get a garnishment. I tried. Uh, I, I can't get um, any restitution whatsoever. I tried to have uh, to see what his assets were, and I was not. Um, what everything it said on on the form, I had to bring him in because he was in contempt of court because he didn't. Uh, uh, Hold that thought. We're going to break in just a few minutes. Okay. In just a few seconds, actually. So when we come back, you know, we definitely want to hear about. The- the, the judgment, you know, the judicial system where you're living, because it just doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound I right. I know. How does that happen? Stay tuned, stay close, everybody, because we're going to come right back with Kathy Lee. Take care. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Vilasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom in 
ingenuity and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. What should you invest in as far as workout equipment is concerned? My answer is simple. Invest in a good pair of exercise shoes. The shoes that you wear for exercise can really make a difference for your body. Regardless of how they look, go for shoes that have the right fit and support for your foot. Orthopedic surgeons and podiatrists will tell you that the shoes you wear are crucial to your body's alignment and the protection of your feet. Many injuries that are common with exercisers, such as low back problems, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain can be in direct relation to the shoes you wear. Take the time to get fit for the proper shoes by salespeople who really know. You don't have to buy the most expensive shoes, just the ones that are right for you. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. And we're back. And thanks for sticking around. We're so happy that you did. I'm here with Kathy Tarchioni and Lee Day, and we are talking about the abuse that happened to to Kathy. She's disabled. You know, she's a widow, and this couple totally scammed her out of a whole bunch of money. She got a judgment. You know, she she sued and she she won the judgment, and she still she was expected to go after the money herself. No sheriff went after it for her. Nobody in the legal system went after it, and the community um, really went against her as she tried to stand up for herself. And Lee Day wrote um, a letter for Kathy. And Lee, why don't you tell us what how you got involved and how you found out about it all? Well, because um, Kathy is a dear dear friend. She's almost like a, a big sister to me, and I love her dearly, and she is a senior, and um, I think it's awful that these two individuals, um, it's actually Jim and Alicia Bumgardner, uh, went and literally scammed her and used her and lied to her, and I don't think it's right that anybody should steal from anybody and lie, and especially a disabled and uh, and a senior, and right? Stop that with, with, with all uh, with all seniors. Not just for uh, you know because it takes away from their money from not just the dogs but other people who are seniors have other bills to pay. They have right. they, they have a fixed income. They're on social security. You don't do that. You have to right. have a conscience. And right. and. And these two people are just plain evil. I mean, I went and I stuck up for Kathy, and they went and called the police on me, too. I had Stanhope police here saying that I was harassing them. I wasn't harassing them. I'm giving you facts, my friend. And if you don't like it, that's not that's not harassing you. No, Um, that's just a fact. And and when you don't want to hear the truth, it's called harassment. And that's Mm -hmm. why I made this 
the, this, uh, this letter, and that's why I got the media into it, and, and I'm not going to stop because these two people should be ashamed of themselves. They're not. They have no conscience. Uh, the, their families are no better, and their friends are no better. And Harrison, Arkansas is, I don't know. I, I would never, oh. The thing that is really probably the most disturbing is that the people have been led to believe that I'm this person that is this crazy old woman that they that uh, connived them and manipulated them to do work for me and that I never paid them. And I can understand why their friends would want to stick up for them if that's what they believe because they want to believe them. But that's not what the story is. So I'm here because I want to tell what the real story is. And also that for the people that are like myself, that are seniors, that are are donating their money to help animals, children, people with cancer, whatever, uh, that that they should keep their money because it's so easy to be be, uh, swindled into some, obviously you can hear my dog. Yeah, is that Charlie's? (laughs) Yeah, that's Charlie. That can be uh, uh, swindled into giving their money away. Uh, They should really keep it unless they're absolutely certain that they're going to get it back. And I swear, Frankie, I thought absolutely certain I was going to get it back, but I didn't. And it's been three years now, by the way. This is not new. Yeah. Well, you know, what's unfortunate is that is that, you know, at 70 years of age, as compassionate a person as you are. And, I, and you know, I've interviewed Kathy before. Kathy, you know, met Mother Teresa. She, you know, this is who this woman is. And she's so compassionate for people and for the animals and, and for health. And she's been in this a long, long time that for for her to be scammed out of her money, she's not she's not um, somebody who doesn't have good judgment. You know, this is somebody who's in her right mind. She's very passionate about the animals, and, and it's been disturbing her, her sleep, her, her dreams, because she hasn't been able to save them. And it's, you know, a very unfortunate event. And it's un- what's, I find what makes it worse is that the legal system isn't on your side. I mean, they're on your side that they believed you and they gave you the judgment, but they're not on your side if they just expect you, who's got COPD and, and heart congestive heart failure, to go and knock on the door and say, hey, give me my money back. That's not realistic. Right. Yeah. And I've been told by the legal system that I can't even talk to these people. And I said, wait a minute. What do you mean I can't talk to them? If somebody owes you money, you should be able to go after them and, and, and talk to them. I mean, how do how do you collect money if you can't talk to them? I'm not supposed to be able to even email them. Nothing. Right. And, and why do I end up being the bad guy in all of this when I'm the one that lent the money? Now, you hear their side of it and their side of it. I mean, no matter how you look at it, the money was loaned. The money was given to them. They were right. to pay it back. They didn't pay it back. They avoided me for three years. And uh, is this about the money right now? It's not really about the money. It's about the principle. Right. Because I will never get that money back, and I know that. It's the principle and the domino effect it had in hurting the animals indirectly. Right. To me, it was a form of dog abuse because I was not able to help the dogs that I traditionally had done for the last two decades. Exactly. And uh, 
uh, it um, it's very disturbing to me. So the same thing would hold true for any senior that gave money or had it exploited. You know, if you haven't, if if you don't know about animals and dogs in shelters, uh, approximately 5,500 dogs every day are killed in shelters across the United States. So when Kathy says that it disturbs her that she can't save an animal, she means that. There's a lot of animals that need saving daily. And it, it is very disheartening, especially when you are compassionate. But this idea of senior abuse, of elder abuse, you know, it's something that we need to worry about and think about for our parents and, and for those that we know. Um, exactly, because, you know, Frankie, I'm at the age now where I'm starting to have some really uh, severe cognitive issues. Right. And uh, so I have uh, memory problems and things like that. And, of course, I my mobility, I don't get around. Although my mind wants me to do it, I, yes. I, I can't get it done. So I one thing I would highly recommend to, uh, to seniors is keep copious notes even if you have to have a tape recorder by your bed so you can remember things that you've done uh it take notes of everything i mean i keep i keep records of everything if i didn't i wouldn't have, be able to run a business you know? exactly you're right so you want that's really good advice you want elders you know tell your parents keep Good records. Keep a, a microphone or your, or your cell phone with the recorder on your your bed so that you can say stuff if you need to. You know, remember the things because all of us, you know, our memories are going. We can't remember. There's so much coming at us uh, every day that it's it can be very difficult. But like you said, the the court believed you because you had records. You had records right. of of giving them the money. Yes, yes. And they, this is a horrific so story. It it really is, Frankie. And again, it's. It, I don't want it to come across that it's about the money because the I, money I is get gone. that it's not right. It's a, it, but it is about about the principle. It's about the fact that they really didn't need the money. I gave it to them from my heart, believing that they needed it to take care of their child, their family, their home, to pay their utilities, their mortgage, and that wasn't the case. They didn't really need the money. So they took the money from me, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't know what other word to call it, is stealing. Right. It is that. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing I can say that it is. Uh, so, you know, we, we want to have a series on, the point is that seniors' lives do really matter. Right. And for some reason, when, when we get to the age that I'm at, people think I can't hear, that I can't see. <laughs> right, right. So they talk to me very loudly. <laughs> or like a child. Yeah, right, or like a child, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I really would like for them to know that uh, we still have the same heart, we still have the same mind, we still have the same feelings, we are compassionate. Uh, there's nothing different about a senior than there is about a, a, a young person. We just have different values. Mm-hmm. On things, and we also are more grateful. I should say, we're definitely more grateful than, than the younger kids of today. Right, absolutely. So it's it, you know, <laughs> your friend Lee here, um, quite the character. Huh? <laughs> Lee is a is a rebel rouser. He's a rebel rouser. Has loves animals just as much as you do. Lee, tell us a story about Rabbi Otis. Tell us, tell us how what that story because I think well, everybody wants Rabbi to know. Rabbi Otis that. was um, was my boy, and he was thrown on the Long Island Expressway um, about six years ago, 
He was blind, deaf, had no teeth. Um, he was almost struck by a car on the busy highway on the Long Island Expressway in New York. Somebody had found him and brought him to Maltese Rescue. And they, uh, nobody wanted to adopt him because he had so many medical issues. And um, so my cousin had taken him, and then she had a stroke. Oh, no. She was only like 42. Wow. And so she asked me to take him because he really needed a lot of attention. Yeah. His eyes were bad. I mean, drops. He, he needed uh, his... I was on a hairstylist, so I um, I gave him a haircut every two weeks. I uh, kept him up to skin and the medicated baths, and, and it was hard for her to do that. So actually, um, Rabbi Otis's life started all over again. And like I said, I'm the creator of the Bark Mitzvah. And so I, I do Bark Mitzvahs, so he became my little rabbi assistant. So I made him a rabbi. With the little yarmulke and everything. With the yarmulke, the whole nine yards. And then I'm also the creator of the dog weddings. I okay. that. So, and I work for celebrities. And I, I go to their home and I sing to the celebrities. And, you know, like um, my clients were the late um, Liz Taylor, Frank Sinatra, uh, Lauren Bacall, Whitney Houston. I used to go to their home and sing to their pets and give them a haircut. And they would be by their pet side having fun with me. Wow. Well, I want to talk about more of that when we get back from our break, for sure. Okay. But <laughs> did, were you going to say something, Kathy? I was going to say, ask her to sing a song that she sings to the... Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> I'll definitely sing a song for you. And you know, they, they can go to see Rabbi Otis's page because that's what he does. He, he fights for all the animals' rights. Oh, okay. Chickens. We're off to our break, but after that, we will come back and we'll talk about Rabbi Otis. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. think employers put a lot of time into reading your resume? According to a new survey from CareerBuilder, most employers spend only about two minutes reviewing resumes. Almost 60% of employers said that the most common resume gaffes were exaggerated job responsibilities, fictional dates of employment, and unreal job titles. Some of the employer surveyed's favorite miscababbles on resumes include one applicant who claimed to be the former CEO of the company he was applying for. Another applicant claimed to be fluent in two languages, one of which was Pig Latin. 
And my personal favorite was a creative job seeker who claimed on his resume that he worked at a jail when he actually was serving time there. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. And thanks for sticking around. We're still here with Kathy and Lee, and we're waiting for Marty to call in and Brent to come on a little bit later. So we were just finding out about how Lee got to become a pet stylist, celebrity pet stylist. And and uh, Lee, how did you become a celebrity pet stylist? Uh, I just, I was working, um, I grew up in Melbourne, and I worked for the Paper Mill Playhouse in Melbourne, New Jersey, where all the celebrities are, you know, and... They act there, and uh, and I also uh, groom for a grooming shop, and I didn't like, you know, that the animals were sort of abused in grooming shops. Right. So I decided I want to do something different, where I can love the animals and be with them at the same time, and also love the owners. Right. So I decided to, to entertain animals, and also help them in the cause at the same time, and... Um, and so that's when I became an entertainer and I started uh, the weddings and the bark mitzvahs and working with celebrities and helping um, one of my, uh, uh, I grew up um, with a learning disability myself. And um, when I was younger, Doris Day came into my life and she pushed me with my mother, my mother and her, pushed me to learn and between them both, I became who I am. And then I started helping Doris with the, the pet, her, um, the Doris Day um, Pet Foundation, which she has now, the DDAF.org, which is a great organization. I mean, she helps so many, so many, so many animals. And it's a great place to, uh, to donate your money, and it's just great. And um, the animals are just a very, very important to me and not just the dogs but all animals and right. we have to stop the abuse because it can't go on anymore it's horrible did you take your name from doris day did you take uh, your name when i was younger i uh i had uh, literally changed my name as a kid um so her name would live on forever because <laughs> she was so good to me oh and uh you know, there's a lot of people with the name Day, so sure. I guess it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's, you know, it's very, it's great that you're that you're able to help Kathy, and it's great that you're able to help the animals and and provide, you know, some fun, some fun. You know, yeah, bark mitzvahs sure. and weddings and, and, and things you know, like I that. I also sing to the animals, like I said. I oh did, yeah, tell it, sing us your um, your song. I did like a lick on the face. Maybe nice, wet, and sloppy, but biscuits are your dog's best friend. Or please, please leash me for a walk, cause I can't hold it anymore. Or, um, and I saw her face. Ow! It was, uh, Mary Tyler Moore's Golden Retriever. Or, um. Well, that's great. That's great. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> Kathy and, and Lee, I wish you all the best, and I hope that this show helps you out a little bit and that people will, you know, come and support you and and every 
and everything that you need, um, you know, to carry on and help these animals and help and help yourself because it it really isn't um, a fair situation for you. And I'm sorry about that. Oh well, thank you so much, Frankie, for having us on and and for hearing the story and being compassionate about it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Up next is is Brent Marchand. He is our correspondent, our movie correspondent for our new monthly movies with meaning. Welcome, Brent. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks for <laughs> thanks for pitching in and coming a bit early. So, Brent, tell us, what movies are we going to be discussing this week? Well, uh, right now we're in the midst of um, award season, which is when the studios and distributors put out their best material in hopes of... Um, picking up accolades at, comp- at competitions like the Oscars and so forth. And um, a couple of the movies that are really popular at this time of year are the ones that recognize um, true stories exploring causes or, or, or campaigns of some sort. And um, two in particular that come, come to mind, they're both nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, one is Spotlight, which uh, details the story of a group of reporters on the Boston Globe who broke the story about the um, um, priests who were abusing um, their parishioners. Mm-hmm. And the other one is uh, The Big Short, which is a, a look at the uh, 2008 financial meltdown and uh, the uh, causes behind it and uh, the motivations of the people who uh, either lost money or made money on it. That was a brilliant movie. I it have to really say. was. I, I, I see like maybe two movies a weekend <laughs> and the big short, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it, you know, a big, a big, you know, woohoo. And, and it was right on the money. What a fantastic movie. It really was. It was, it was kind of snuck up on people too, because it didn't get a lot of, um, advanced publicity and, um, what marketing materials it put out and the trailer put out weren't, terribly impressive and honestly i was sort of lukewarm about it going into it oh steve carell was amazing i was just blown away yeah yeah ryan gosling steve carell great actors great great roles for them and they all really brought their characters to life and they each had different motivations in terms of the way they were going into it so the the meaning of the experience was completely different for each person you had one person um like uh, Ryan Gosling, who said, I'm going to make money off of this. I really don't care. Uh, you had Steve Carell, who was having a crisis of conscience over it. Um, you had um, Christian Bale, who basically said, well, I see this coming, and I have a responsibility to my investors, so really what can I do, even though I might not like what's going to happen? So you see a lot of really very different perspectives um, all related to this one particular event. And, um, you know, they uh, – it was meaningful also from the standpoint that they were using their, their powers of intuition and synchronicity to um, to make the most of the situation, both for themselves and for the people they represented. Yeah, it was it was fabulous. I, I just loved it. What, are the, what other movies do you have for us? Well, there's a couple of documentaries that are really worth seeing right now, uh, two in particular that I found interesting. Um, one is called Hitchcock Truffaut, mm-hmm. which... Um, I detailed on the on the blog on the uh, at the good radio, radio network.com. Network. Yep. Um, 
Um, it explores um, a meeting that took place in 1962 between two of the greatest directors in the history of film, Alfred Hitchcock and Francois Truffaut. And it, it explores um, their creative process, uh, what uh, movies mean to them, how they bring it to life. And it has commentary from a number of contemporary um, uh, directors uh, saying why they, their work was so relevant. Uh, another one in the same vein is called Peggy Guggenheim, Art Addict. Uh, which is a biography of a, a woman who was a, a major benefactor in helping to promote uh, the rise of 20th century modern art. Um, she was not an artist herself, but she had a keen eye for recognizing talent and um, helping to bring those people to the fore. And um, she ended up really um, adding a great deal of additional meaning to the art scene that hadn't previously been there before. And she was also really living out her purpose in life, which I think is so important. One of the things I like about the movies is that they really provide good examples at helping us understand ourselves and understand uh, our place in the world, and, and she really uh, personified that quite well, and the movie shows that very clearly. That's, um, yeah, Guggenheim, the Guggenheim Museum. They, I think, are they in Newport? Is that where they... uh, No, it's in New York. Oh, in New York, New York. But they, I think they, they vacation because I remember being in, at Newport at the at the jazz festival, and, the, and I'm pretty sure they said, you know, this is where the Guggenheims and the Kennedys and everybody vacation. Well, she, <laughs> yeah, she eventually had um, a, a fairly large um, um, museum that she set up in Venice, um, and helped to really put Venice on the map as a uh, sort of a world capital for the modern art movement. Have Have you? Um, uh, there's a movie and I've been wanting to see it so badly and I haven't, uh, it's, it's one of the, it's an art movie, so it doesn't go into all the theaters and I'm just trying to remember the name of it right now. Oh my goodness. And it's about the a young Irish girl who comes to New York city to Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn. That's the name of the movie. Yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> yeah. Easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, yes, I did see that. Um, it's, um, it's a beautifully filmed story. Um, you know, great um, visuals in terms of the the landscapes and the sets and the costumes and everything. Um, the story is a little predictable, a little conventional. Um, the immigrant story has kind of been done several times before in other movies, I think probably just as well, if not better. Uh, but it certainly is um, very nice to look at, and there's some good performances in it, and uh, um, it, too, is a, a Best Picture nominee this year. Yeah, what were um I was surprised actually that that they had already they had mentioned some films that that um I saw in 2016 but were in the 2015 lot of best films. How how well, does that work? What happens is that um the films need to be released before December 31st if they want to qualify for being in uh you know being eligible to compete in the in the contest. Okay. Uh, so what happens a lot of times is that the studios and distributors will release the movies in, say, like two cities, um, usually New York and Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, before the end of the year. And that way that makes them eligible. And then they'll go into wider general release, uh, usually starting after January 1st. There gets to be kind of a a huge pack that develops at the end of the year when all these movies are coming out at the same time. And... Um, they have to kind of stagger them a little bit so that people have a chance to get to see them. If they came right. out all at once, they'd be uh, 
they'd be sort of overwhelmed with trying to uh, get everything, get to see everything in a short window. I find it really um, hard to understand why really good movies like Brooklyn Suffragette, you know, some really great movies, they just don't, they just don't come mainstream. They put them in the smaller, you know, art houses, let's say theaters. And don't they think that we're smart enough to understand them or, or enjoy them? <laughs> like, I'd like to think that, but unfortunately, yeah, a lot of times uh, they, they get into very limited release. Um, and, you know, one of the complaints that's actually come up uh, in connection with the Oscar broadcast um, for several years now is that a lot of people in smaller markets who don't readily get to see these movies either by the time the show takes place or if at all, Mm-hmm. say, why should I watch the show because I haven't even heard of these films? Right, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, being in Chicago as I am, I'm very fortunate in the fact that sure. we usually get things like right after they get into, say, New York and L.A. We're going to um, go to a commercial break in just a, in just a few seconds. But okay. when we come back, can we can we look at maybe um, the top five five films that, you know, we think are going to win something this year? Sure. Is that Okay. Sure. Awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm just in, you know, outside Toronto, so we get all the films too, usually, but not as quickly as you do in Chicago. Stay, stick around if you, if you like movies as much as I like movies and Brent likes movies, you're going to want to hear what, what maybe your top favorite films are or what you need to go see. Just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer, Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R dot com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. your ears? Studies suggest that only 10 to 20% of humans are able to wiggle their ears. That's pretty ostrobogulous. Ostrobogulous is another word for bizarre or unusual. Of course, many animals have the ability to independently turn their ears in the direction of a sound by using their auricular muscles. In humans, ear wiggling is thought to be more of a vestigial feature, meaning it was once a useful trait of our ancient ancestors, but not needed anymore. Some people can't stop wiggling their ears. This rare moving ear syndrome is known as dyskinesia. This can be a pretty embarrassing condition, especially if you are macrotus or have big ears. It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Brent is with us, and we were talking about the great movies from 2015, and he's just going to tell us what we might want to look at or, or make sure we watch before the Oscars come on. 
Well, the um, <clears throat> the two that I already mentioned, I, I would recommend highly: uh, Spotlight and um, the the Big Short. Right. Uh, I, I think they're both really strong contenders for winning Best Picture at this point. I like Spotlight. Yeah, Spotlight was a good movie. Yeah, it's um, you know, when when you uh, one of the ways of being able to sort of chart how things are going to play out at the Oscars is to look at some of the competitions leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Spotlight won the picture at the Critics' Choice Awards, uh, and the Big Short won uh, the uh, Producers Guild Award, and uh, also it won the movie for the award for best uh, comedy at the Critics' Choice Awards. So it's got some momentum behind it right now, and I think that may carry through. Um, the uh, Producers Guild Award is usually a very strong indicator of what's going to win. So. Um, I think the people with uh, with that movie have uh, have a lot of good things to look forward to, and I certainly hope they do because of of the eight films that were nominated. It certainly was my favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. And what were the other films that were nominated? If you can remember, um, uh, Room. Yeah. And the, Re- yeah. the Revenant. I love The Revenant. I didn't get to see um, Room. Revenant uh, was a fantastic movie. That that bear scene. Oh my God! It was. So yeah, that was really well done. <laughs> That was unbelievable. Really well unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Leonardo Bre- really, you know, he really outdid himself in that movie. Um, Brooklyn is up, up for best picture also. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, the Road Warrior movie, which was kind of a surprise because usually uh, the Oscars don't seek to honor the kind of big summer blockbuster adventure movies. Yeah. But this really drew a lot of attention. So. The, Roy, um, the Road Warrior. Was that yeah. the Mad Max one? Yeah, Mad Max uh, Fury okay. Road. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, also uh, The Martian. Yeah, that was a good with, movie. With uh, Matt Damon. Yeah, if you haven't seen that movie, go see that movie. That was a good movie. And uh, Bridges Five, uh, Steven yeah. Spielberg's latest movie. So it's a very interesting crop of pictures that ended up uh, picking up honors. Smart films, a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing that you do see with um, with the Oscars each year with their Best Picture nominees is uh, they they like to pick what they consider to be their best choices uh, mm-hmm. for the for the top spot, uh, mainly because they like to convey the impression that well, these are the kinds of movies we make all the time. Well, yeah. no, you really don't. <laughs> yeah, not not exactly. No. <laughs> But it certainly makes it, it certainly looks good on you know the uh, the movie industry resume by putting it out that way. So <laughs> I was surprised um, about Star Wars that it got such a high review, ninety three percent. And you know it was an okay film. Maybe the nostalgia got it up that high, but it wasn't great. Oh, I agree. Um, uh, yeah, to me, it, it really struck me as being very much kind of a retread of the original, um, the f- very first movie in the series that they put out. Yeah. Um, I came away from it saying, well, okay, that was kind of nice to look at, but in terms of it being, uh, you know, ground-making filmmaking, uh, no, I didn't really think that. And actually, the, the young actress, and I don't know her name, she she was really the one who, who saved it, I thought. You know, if there's one well, person to look at, it was her. Well, I think, um, you know, you had sort of a, a, a bi-generational thing going on. You had uh, the uh, the older viewers who were coming to see Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill 
And then you had the younger viewers who wanted to see, you know, the, the crop of new talent that was going to be taking over the franchise. So um, you, from at least from a marketing standpoint, uh, the filmmakers kind of covered both, covered all bases that way. Um, but as far as how well it gelled into a finished product, well, you know, like I said, like you said, uh, it was an okay movie, but I didn't think it was great. Yeah, I think I think yeah. I, my my pick oh be between Revenant and The Big Short. I I'd go with The Big Short at this point, um, mainly because uh, I thought it was uh, smartly written, well told, well acted. Um, the Revenant I thought was a little stretched out in a few spots. Um, certainly, it was beautifully filmed and and, and very well acted. Uh, I was certainly very happy to see. Um, um, not just Leonardo pick up the nomination, but also Tom Hardy. Yeah, he, the, he did a great job. Character. Um, he had been overlooked in all the other awards competitions leading up to the Oscars, and uh, I was glad to see them recognize his efforts because I thought he was terrific. Um, but um, I don't know that it's going to repeat at the Oscars the same way it did at the Golden Globes. It was a big winner there, but I don't think that's going to hold. I think the... Uh, the momentum right now, as I said, is with the big short. You know, and, and what's interesting about the big short is even if you don't understand the financial market, you're going to enjoy the movie. Even if you don't understand, you know, well, I don't understand how that, you know, it, the inflation and, and how everything just flopped and how the bank stole money from me. You're still going to enjoy the movie. Yeah. I, even with that, I thought they did a pretty good job of taking fairly complicated topics. Yeah. And, I loved how they uh, took some them. of those. <laughs> you know, it was really kind of funny the way that they did it, like comparing, the uh, comparing the... it to a casino and comparing yeah. it to uh, a chef creating a stew out of used materials and so forth. Yeah, uh, really, really clever. <laughs> it was really, really clever for sure. So and what's, the, what's, the... co- uh, what's coming out that we're going to want to go see? Well, we're going to want to wait mostly till summer. <laughs> really? Yeah, from January until about May 1st is sort of a, well, I call it kind of a cinematic wasteland in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It, it usually involves the movies that the studios and distributors have invested in and have to put out simply because they've invested in them. Um, but they know that usually things that come out this early in the year are not going to be remembered when it comes to be award time anyhow. That's true. So this is, this is kind of like the the cinematic dumping ground um, for the year in many ways. Um, that's not to say that there aren't some interesting things that come out. Um, the uh, the Coen Brothers' new comedy, uh, Hail Caesar, looks kind of interesting. That comes out on uh, February 5th. Right, right. What and, did you think uh, of Hateful Eight? Tarantino. I hated it. <laughs> did you? I, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> Do you like Tarantino? Um, I like some of his material, but I just thought this was uh, an exercise in gratuitous violence, racism, violence against women. I just really did, disliked it in virtually every respect. Wow. Three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three hours of, of stewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you that, um, oh, what was that movie? It just, it was the new one, the fifth, oh, the fifth Wave. Oh, the fifth wave. Horrible. Yeah. Don't go see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard it wasn't too good. I, I've been, um, I've been sort of putting it off to uh, to see uh, other 
nominated films in some of the lesser known categories like the foreign category and so forth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I understand it has not gotten very, very good reviews. So I think I'll pass or at least wait till it comes to DVD or something like that. <laughs> as far as for, foreign film go, like what, who do you like? I personally, I love, um, you know, I've in in the past, I've I've really liked some of the Japanese and some of the not not the Godzilla ones, but some of their more you know refiner ones. And and Chinese films are really good. Aussie films are really good. And and um, like Cinema Paradiso is probably one of my favorite films. A little Italian film. Yep. Yeah, I love um, that. I, film. I, yeah, I really do like foreign films. And, and each mm-hmm. year, um, I try to get to the uh, Chicago Film Festival, which mm-hmm. has a just tons and tons of foreign movies and a lot of times um that's usually the only place you get to see some of these pictures because if they don't have a u.s distributor or canadian distributor um they just don't show up in the theaters here yeah Uh, do you get bollywood uh, i love bollywood we have a lot of indians here so we get a lot of bollywood well you know what what country is actually becoming kind of a, a a leader in foreign film right now is Iceland. Really? Yeah. Uh, I saw a couple of interesting movies uh, that played at the film festival. Uh, also, uh, the Netherlands. And is it really austere like like they tend to be? No, they're comedies. Oh, are they? <laughs> they're really kind of offbeat comedies. Oh, how fun. Um, yeah, there was a, an Icelandic movie called The Homecoming, and there was a Dutch film called The Surprise that were both just hysterical. Oh, wow. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, last I heard, they didn't have North American distributors, so I don't know you'll get to see them any other way. I think it's unfortunate that people don't try to see a foreign film because they can be absolutely brilliant. And when you are, yes, you start off reading subtitles, but by the middle, you're not really reading anymore. It doesn't feel like you're reading. You're into the emotion and the story, and you kind of get what's going on anyway. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I've uh, I've gotten used to that from going to the opera as well. Because now, right. now yeah, some of the operas exactly. that are in, in foreign languages have the uh, the they call them super titles. Uh, okay. They put them above the stage so you get to see what the uh, what the translation is for what the musicians are singing. Right. And they they're playing the opera now in in our theaters here. You can buy a package so that you can see some of the you know really great shows up really up close, which is kind of pretty neat. They're a little expensive per ticket. It's like forty something a ticket a person, but but that's usually going to be a lot cheaper than going to the cheaper than going to the opera. To see it. But yeah. live is kind of fun. But to be able to <laughs> see it up up close and see the very best you know in the world, it, it, it is a good price, really. And with having, you know, the multiple camera angles, too, that helps. Right. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's kind of a great introduction to opera for people who have never been because, you know, you, you, you do have those different camera angles and you do get to see stuff that maybe you wouldn't see in the back row or something. And, yes, it's exciting to be all dressed up because people still dress up for the opera. It's <laughs> still not as casual <laughs> as other things. But you don't have to be dressed up. And, you know, for those people who don't like to do that. That's it. Well, we've only got about another minute left. Brent, you know, you're the author. Tell people you're the author of. I'm the author of two books. Uh, One is called Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and also Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction. 
uh, both of which are available in print and ebook formats from all major online retailers. I'm also an online um, writer for Vivid Life magazine, Smart Women's Empowerment, okay. New Consciousness Review, and of course, you. the Good Radio Network. <laughs> I'm sorry that Marty Brown didn't get to join us today. Thank you to Kathy and Lee who did, and Brant yourself. We'll see you next month at Movies with Meaning. And thank Sounds you, great. Eric, for doing my show for me today. Take care, everybody. Wherever you are in the world, please download this show. We love you. See you next week.